Hi, everyone. This is Mitch Ashley with DevOps.com, and you're listening to another DevOps Chat Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Chris Ng, who is Chief Research Officer at Veracode. And we are talking about their latest report, the Veracode State of Software Security. This is Volume 10. Chris, welcome to DevOps Chat. Thanks, Mitch. Great to have you on. Tell us, why don't we start out by having you tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do at Veracode, and for those that don't know Veracode, just a little bit about Veracode. So as you mentioned, I'm Chief Research Officer here at Veracode. I've been here for 13 years now, and my teams are responsible essentially for building the knowledge that goes into our products. So we have a number of different products that help our, our customers identify vulnerabilities in their software. And uh, my teams essentially um, identify, well, what are the patterns that we're looking for? What are the common mistakes that developers are going to make? What are the important things that we should scan for in each language? And specify to our engineering teams how we do that. I also own product security for Veracode, so uh, making sure that we deliver secure products to our customers. Um, our customers are basically anybody that uh, builds, uh, buys, or deploys software, and so we help them build uh, programs around securing that software at scale using a number of different technologies, including static analysis, dynamic analysis, software composition, and so on. So we work with uh, uh, anybody that, that, that deals with software, which is pretty much everybody. <laughs> Just about everybody these days uh, with digital transformation, no doubt. Uh, thank you very much for that, uh, that background on yourself as well as about Veracode. Well, let's start out with you've been doing this report for 10 years and your longevity with the company. You've been able to oversee and be part of that over that uh, decade process. What, what kind of things have you learned since you started out, you know, kind of the size of how many, how many applications and things that you're scanning to what's happening today and any trends that you've noticed from that? Yeah, it's been a great um, process to do this uh, every year, um, primarily because we're in this unique position where we actually uh, can see what's going on there in the industry. And when we started doing this in volume one, we only had about 1,500 applications in the data set. And then fast forward to this year, we had 85,000 unique applications, so 50 wow. times more than we had before. And I'm not aware of any other study that has you know, quantitative information on software security uh, that, that's anywhere close to as big as this one. So in addition to the size of the data set getting bigger, uh, we looked at fixed times and we found that those have roughly stayed the same, which is sort of a, a little bit uh, depressing. But uh, that being mm -hmm. said, there's a lot more software now than there was before. So there's a lot more to scan, there's a lot more to secure. And, and so you only have so much bandwidth to, to do this stuff. So we saw fixed times stay roughly the same uh, we did see that uh, over that 10-year period, there are fewer apps that have no flaws. So that's more of a, a factor of you know, our capabilities than anything else. We can detect mm. more than we could before. Um, mm -hmm. But we did also see that there are fewer flaws, uh, sorry, fewer apps these days with, um, with no high severity uh, flaws. So customers are getting better at, at identifying and remediating high severity flaws. We looked at a number of different angles, including um, compliance trends and things like that. But for the most part, I think that the fixed times is, is kind of the interesting part. And we dug a lot more into that and, and explored um, some of the factors that, that lead into fixed times. Well, if you just think about what's changed over a decade, I mean, 10 years ago, we were thinking about SQL injection, cross-site scripting. You know, those are the kinds of app security flaws, at least a lot of what the focus was. Things have changed drastically since then. Yeah, we are still um, seeing 
the vast majority of the same flaw categories that we saw 10 years ago. And I don't think anybody who, who does AppSec on a daily basis would be too surprised by that. Mm-hmm. Some of these things are really easy to fix technically, but when there's so much of it and it spans across such a huge application inventory, it does take a lot of effort to close these. So we still see SQL injection um, at roughly the same rate that we saw it uh, 10 years ago. Other categories like cross-site scripting have actually gotten more prevalent. Uh, and, and we've seen some go down. We've seen like buffer overflows and numeric errors reduce in prevalence. A part of that, I think, is, is due to the change in, in um, programming languages as well, right? There's a lot of that, mm-hmm. um, that stuff that's prevalent in native code like C++, and we're seeing less, uh, fewer applications being written in, in those languages today. So I think that's contributing more to the prevalence differences that we're seeing. I wonder, too, if uh, service-oriented architectures, microservices, things that promote reuse of code maybe help some of those things. Maybe it won't. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah, it certainly could. I mean, anytime there's reuse, um, you know, you inherit the functionality, but you also inherit the risk. And that's, mm-hmm. you know, that, that's, that's sort of the, the trend as we've, as we've seen people start using a lot more open source than before. Again, you get the functionality, but you also get the risk. And so you, know, you introduce new vulnerabilities to your applications that way. So certainly uh, with code reuse, uh, like you mentioned, you, you, could, you could get that effect as well. Mm-hmm. Potentially even infrastructure as code. Uh, there were some really great things that came out of the report. Love to have you talk about some of the uh, the applications accruing debt, uh, how many folks are driving that down, you know, how did that, what kind of effects that had? Yeah, we, we took a look at security debt for the first time um, in this report. And, you know, most, most people have a concept of technical debt, just, you know, things that um, get old and crusty in your software over time, and maybe architecturally or things that you meant to go back and fix, but you never did. And uh, you, security flaws kind of have the same tendency to build up over time. If you think of it like financial debt, right? If you charge something on your credit card and then you only pay the minimum amount every month, you're going to be paying a lot for a long time. And when you add that up, um, it's going to be a lot more than it would have just been to pay off your balance you know, right when you accrued it, right? And so security debt, uh, when we look at security debt from that angle, we look at um, are applications kind of accumulating new security debt over time or are they driving it down? And um, when we look at the number of flaws that are kind of left unfixed in an application, we, we kind of view that as the security debt, right? And, you know, there's only a certain amount of capacity, right? You, it's, it's very difficult for an application that, let's say, has been accumulating security issues over many years to just say, like, hey, we're going to pay that all down today, right? Um, you'd have to dedicate a lot of engineers to doing that. You'd have to, like, you know, really focus all your efforts to do that. And so it's not typically very practical to do that all at once. But uh, it is important to kind of be measuring whether or not you're, you know, fixing more than you find, or finding more than you fix because that's kind of directional, right? And so we found that you know nearly half of applications are are finding more than they fix, and so in, essentially they're they're accruing that debt. So they're never gonna they're never gonna climb out from underneath that um, unless yeah. unless they start to reverse course there, right? Uh, put more effort into fixing issues so that they over time reduce that debt and get to a point where okay, now there's nothing kind of outstanding. And, uh, and, and you can then make a rule that says, um, you know, we're not going to allow this application to be promoted into production or whatever if we accrue new findings. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but that's that's rare, right? So barely anybody is is, is there yet. And so we looked at um, how different um, DevOps um, tendencies or, or methodologies um, practices affect security debt. And so I think those are some of the findings that that I'd like to talk about a little bit. Sure, let's go to that because I'm very curious about. As we shift left, right, we're trying to get security in earlier, exactly. good earlier, all of those things. Hopefully, you fix it before it's it ever goes into a QA function or an automated testing. Right. There's all those studies that have kind of showed that uh, it costs a lot less, right, when you fix it earlier, and that makes sense. If you're if you're fixing a flaw as a developer is writing the code, if you can you know sit there and um, tell them what they did wrong before they even check that code into the repository, it's gonna be a lot cheaper than if you find it uh, in a penetration test, let's say after the code's mm -hmm. been deployed and then you've gotta go figure out the root cause and then you've gotta find a developer that understands that code and get it in their backlog. And, you know, so, so that's, that's kind of an accepted um, um, understanding that, that it costs more the later you do it. That's after well, we, you get done pointing fingers to whose codes it in. It, is it in the network exactly. or the servers or the code, you know. Exactly, and it's kind of tracing it down. And so mm -hmm. we wanted to really say, like, does DevOps make a difference in, in, in how quickly we can fix things and, and how much security debt we accrue? And so sitting from where we are, remember, customers submit their applications to us, and DevOps is, is, more, is not just automation, it's also, like, culture and process and you know a lot of things that, that, that kind of feed into whether you're doing DevOps or not. But from our mm -hmm. vantage point, um, we can't see culture, we can't see process, we can see automation, we can see to what extent um, automation has been incorporated into um, an application's testing cycle, for example. And um, we use scan frequency as a proxy for whether an organization is using DevOps. So by that, I mean, how many scans do they uh, run per year on an application? And so um, you have a lot of applications that are scanning literally once per year, right? 36% um, wow. once a year. And if you think about how quickly software is, is changing and how many features are getting added mm -hmm. uh, every week or every month, like once a year is, you know, <laughs> that's, not, that's not very good. Mm -hmm. uh, on the other end of the spectrum, you have, um, uh, about 0.3% of apps that are scanning um, basically every day or more. So you know that that's probably being done by automation. You don't have a person sitting there right. submitting the application, hopefully. Um, and so if you look at, there's some charts in the report that kind of show what that, what that distribution is. But essentially, uh, if you scan um, once per month compared to if you scan um, every day, your median time to remediation um, is significantly faster. So um, 19 days uh, median time to remediation for a flaw if you're scanning daily versus 68 days if you're scanning monthly or less. And so um, we then kind of broke it down into uh, different, you know, even, even more buckets, right? So we did kind of one, what does one to three scans per year look like, four to six, seven to 12, you know, and so on. And uh, it's kind of hard to describe this um, just <laughs> just via audio, but if you pull down the report, you'll see all these kind of like iceberg charts. And so you'll see like pink and blue mm -hmm. and there's a, the pink represents the debt. It's kind of below the line. And that's kind of shows the, the number of findings per app that are outstanding. And what you'll see is that for the apps that are scanned more frequently, less debt accumulates. Essentially, the teams are able to get after that debt faster. And while it doesn't go away completely, 
uh, again, because this is this is aggregating all of the apps we have, um, mm -hmm. it, it it accumulates less, and so we see a direct correlation between that scan frequency and both um, the fixed time and the security debt accumulated. Well, certainly makes sense automating that. That's going to show up in your numbers around the 19 days to fix scanning once a day. Um, is, is there a way to tell if it's happening? You see scanning happening more frequently than on a daily basis. Is that helpful or, or are there other things that help, again, help the shift left? You know, I think once you get to a daily basis, you're probably, I think there's going to be some diminishing returns after that. I mean, imagine you, you did a full scan every time somebody checks something in. Yeah. Um, you, you'd just be getting a lot of information. You wouldn't be able to act on that quicker than, you know, I think the, the, the span of a day or, or, you know, a few hours. So, you know, scanning every few minutes really wouldn't buy you anything. Mm -hmm. So another thing that we looked at that we thought was interesting would be scan cadence. So not so much how frequently were you scanning, but how regularly are you scanning? And so you can imagine, um, and again, there's a, there's a great diagram. It's my favorite diagram in the report, actually. It's just a bunch of dots on a chart. But what it does is it maps out, every dot represents a scan. And so if an application is scanning on a very steady basis, you would see evenly spaced dots across the course of the year. Whereas if you were scanning in kind of a bursty fashion, so uh, basically a lot of activity followed by no activity, then you would see a clustering of dots followed by just a bunch of white space. And so we actually calculated that cadence um, uh, uh, for every single app in the data set, and then we grouped them into buckets again, so of, of the ones that were either scanning on a steady basis or a bursty basis, or something in the middle, which we called irregular. Uh, and irregular is basically just a bunch of mini bursts, right? Mm -hmm. um, so what we wanted to answer was, how does that scan cadence affect security debt? Are you less likely to accumulate debt if you're scanning uh, st steadily or in a bursty fashion? Right? Which one's gonna be more effective at wiping that out? Because you could see it going either way, right? You could steady, you could just, um, People could get just used to seeing results and they get to the point where they ignore them maybe. Whereas bursty, you're like, okay, well, I'm paying a lot of attention to this. We're gonna focus all our efforts on this and then you know, drive it down. So there was actually a question there. We didn't know what we were going to see. But when we did break it out, we found that um, when you do the bursty scanning, you have all that white space and you just put a flurry of activity. Over time, like you're just, that security debt that, get, that accumulates is just massive. Um, mm -hmm. You see this huge, increase in the amount of, of pink, which re represents the, 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 um, the findings that are not addressed. Whereas with the steady and even to some extent the irregular scanning, you see the security debt uh, grow a little bit, but then um, start to decrease. And so it, the, the curve is actually going in the right direction towards, um, towards the end of, uh, uh, of the time frame that we're able to chart out. And so that was another good finding for us. So what we can do is we can actually take those conclusions and, and advise our customers and, and really anybody that's building software that uh, if you want to reduce security debt, the data suggests that you should scan um, frequently and that you should also scan in a steady basis. You shouldn't, you shouldn't ever let up, right? It has to become, mm -hmm. and that makes sense, right? Anything that we make a habit of uh, mm -hmm. tends to just become part of the way that we do things. Uh, and so it was nice to have some data that actually reflects um, 
what we what we think would be true actually does turn out to be true. It's kind of like a brush your teeth daily, right? Not the day before you go to the dentist. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's not <laughs> going to do much good. <laughs> you know, what also occurs to me is this bursty style is there's really no predictability around how long um, a security flaw is going to exist in your code because you may find it, fix it now, but it may be if it's another three months or whatever before you scan again, who knows when it gets fixed. It could live out there for a long time. Right. We, we, um, we actually did find, it's funny that you mentioned that, that the, the highest probability for a flaw to get fixed um, was in the first month or so. And so the, the longer you wait, the less likely a given flaw is to get fixed. And so essentially developers are prioritizing kind of like last in first out. They're more likely to prioritize something to get fixed if it's kind of fresh. And that's not what we want to see, right? We want to see developers fix things that are more important. We want to see them fix more severe items or items that are in applications that are more critical to the business or items that are more exploitable than others. Um, but when we measured all of those and we looked for patterns that would suggest that they were prioritizing in that way that's, that's sensible to a security practitioner, we found that that recency, like how, uh, how recently was it found, was, was really uh, the, the highest correlation in terms of whether something was going to get fixed. Mm -hmm. And so um, we have to do a better job of prioritization not just you know understanding what a security person would do, but getting a developer to adopt those same priorities. Well, you're obviously not measuring the human psyche element of this, but I have to believe you build up such a mountain of that debt. At some point, it gets too hard to grok, understand, fathom. And there's probably even abandonment rate. It's just like too big. Let's just deal with what's on our plate right now. And here's the scan results and jump on it. It does, and, and that's not, um, it's not uncommon to see customers adopt that type of strategy, that the idea that, all right, well, I'm starting this program now on day zero. I'm responsible for AppSec now, and you know anything that happened before I got here, well, that's not my problem. Let's just focus on not introducing new flaws, which is fine. Like, not introducing new flaws is great, but that doesn't help you with anything in the past, and, and ultimately... Right it's all risk to the application, right? You can, you can get attacked any, any number of these ways. Uh, but we have exactly. seen, we've seen big customers um, try to, 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 to take that approach. And, um, you know, it's, it's not advisable. You, you, have to, you have to chip away at that debt. Even though you can't do it all at once, maybe you, um, you work in you know, security sprints into your life cycle, you find a way to pay it down over time. And eventually you get to where you want to be, but you cannot just ignore it and, and say no mm -hmm. new flaws going forward. That's, it's, it's not, you know, it's not going to get you where you want as far as the debt. And it costs more to fix stuff later too, right? The longer we wait, you know, imagine you've got a library to patch um, and that library is, you know, one year out of date or five years out of date. It's going to, mm -hmm. it's going to cost you a lot more in terms of effort to fix the one that's five years out of date. Things will inevitably break. So, so the, the cost of, of fixing also increases over time. I mean, there are hundreds of findings, if not more, in this report, not to pick out just one, but it stood out to me that there was one stat in there of uh, C++ carries three to five times more unresolved flaws than .NET over the same period of time. So this is to the point of languages make a big difference, and why is that so? 
Yeah, you know, we did break it down by language and just kind of uh, took a look at how much security debt accrued in each one. And it's not really to say that, okay, well, if you're using C++, you should rewrite that in, you know, in .NET or, or some of the language. That's not really sure. practical for most yeah. people. But what it does show is that certain languages are more likely to accumulate debt over time. And it's important not to so much look at the, the raw number of, uh, of flaws because some languages, you know, just are, are inherently um, uh, more secure against certain classes of flaws, right? It's a lot harder to shoot yourself in the foot in certain languages than others. But mm -hmm. in looking at the shape of the curve, like is does security debt tend to increase um, uh, or uh, for certain languages? That That's kind of that's something to look at and to at least be aware of. If you have certain parts of your application inventory written in, you know, PHP, for example, um, you know, you should be aware that you know those those apps are probably going to be more likely to accumulate debt than say the .NET ones. And so, mm -hmm. so it's something to to take into account as you're as you're doing your planning. Okay, very good. Well, we could talk about this for maybe days. There's so much information <laughs> in here. Um, so we don't leave everyone with a mountain of, oh gosh, there's so much in here to learn and understand. Are, are there two or three takeaways if you're a developer, lead developer, development manager, architect sitting out there listening to this going, okay, so what do I need to know? Are there, what are the couple of takeaways you would suggest? Yeah, you know, I'll kind of reiterate some of the some of the things that we talked about, but but essentially that security automation, especially if we look at scan frequency, it is definitely lagging the adoption of DevOps in general, right? DevOps has kind of just taken off like a rocket ship and security automation, um, like I mentioned, only 5% of the apps are being scanned weekly or better. And so there's there's some catching up to do there. Uh, the good news is that when you actually do that and when you actually um, um, do that frequent and steady testing, you will probably get to a point where you can start chipping away at security debt and, and eventually over time drive that down so, so that you can take a strategy of you know, no new flaws and, and keep yourself at a, at a clean pace. Um, and the last one, I think there's conversation that needs to happen between security teams and developers in terms of prioritization. You know, I talked about how developers are not prioritizing in, a, in, in, in really a security appropriate manner. The recency is appearing to kind of outweigh every other factor. And so there's, I think, some improvement that most teams could make there where, you know, even with the same amount of bandwidth to fix flaws, they could spend their time uh, fixing things that, that are more important to be fixed as opposed to the ones that are just appearing most recently. So I think those are some of the takeaways. And, and like you said, there's a lot in the report. It's a, it's a pretty interesting read. Uh, and I would encourage people to, to go grab a copy and, and, uh, and read through it. And very well done, if I, might. if I do say so myself. Very well put together, Chris. Um, where can folks get the report? Uh, it's on our website, so verico.com. And uh, it should be on the front page there. And um, yeah, there's about a 50-page PDF behind it. Okay, perfect. We'll include a link in the description for this episode, too. Excellent. So. Well, thank you so much. Appreciate you being on, Chris. Yeah, my pleasure. It's been great to have you. Again, uh, thanking my guest today, Chris Ng, who is Chief Research Officer at Veracode. And, of course, thanking you, our listeners, for joining us today. We know your time is valuable, and it's a great topic. Security is important, and having this information, I think, is very valuable to all of us. This is Mitch Ashton with DevOps.com. We've listened to another DevOps chat podcast. Be careful out there.